Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Matthew chapter number five. We are continuing in our series, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which we have kind of retitled here, The Way of Jesus. We spent 17 weeks in just the Beatitudes and how the kingdom is ours. And I so, I so enjoyed uh, those, those verses that uh, we're just going to continue on all the way down through this entire uh, sermon. And I want to tell the uh, Courtney and Cassidy, you did a great job back there on the slides. First time there, you did a phenomenal job. Very proud of you. And thank you for serving in that uh, capacity. And uh, the Lord is going to honor that and use it in your life. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. Matthew chapter number five, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 17 as we begin to answer this question, what does Jesus think about the Bible? What does Jesus think about the Bible? Verse number 17, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy destroy or abolish or to tear down, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass away from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these little commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoso shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20, for I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Today's passage, Mark chapter number five, it's a, it's a difficult one for the modern hearer. It really is. But it is vital in your life and it's vital in my life if we're going to really walk the way of Jesus. Simply put, to to follow Jesus faithfully, we need to see God's word the way that Jesus saw it. And so we're going to try to answer the question this morning of what does Jesus actually think about the Bible? Everything in the Sermon on the Mount, it really, it really hinges on this. We will never be the salty Christians that we talked about last week in a, in a light that shines into the darkness without God's Word. We will never be able to embody Jesus' upside-down values that we found in the Beatitudes without the Word of God. Since this passage is... A little difficult. What I want us to do is I'm going to kind of, I'm just going to go just, just verse by verse. We're going to explain what that verse is, and then we're going to begin to apply that to our life later in the sermon. So let's just jump right into it. Verse number 17. Think not that I am come to destroy or to abolish the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. The, the, the law in the prophets is kind of, if you allow me to put it this way, it's kind of shorthand for the entire known Bible at that time. And so it's kind of, it, it, what it's mean is, is it's the entire Old Testament. And the word here, destroy or, or, or abolish, is the word kataleo, which can mean to tear down or to, here's a word for today, deconstruct. People all over Christendom today are deconstructing their faith. And so, to be honest with you, 
I kind of I wish that Jesus literally had come to completely abolish the law. My son loves Legos, and right now he's, uh, he's, he's been sick pretty much all week. And uh, man, when you're sick in the Johnson home and like dad's not sick, I don't pay a lot of attention to my kids. I love them, but it's like, stay away from me. It's like, hey, I, I do one of these from like 15 feet away. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, you know, Sarah's the one that does the hugging and then hence why she's sick today uh, with, uh, with Blake. But Blake loves Legos right now. And so on Friday, we just, we both had to be here on campus. And so it was just the necessity of what was going on. And, uh, and so Blake had to stay in my office for most of the day because he's been barking like a dog, you know, like the nasty croupy cough down there. And so he was in there and he knows that I have a bin of Legos in my office that kind of only he knows where they're at. And so I come in and stuff is literally moved and books are moved and he gets out the Legos and he spends the next multiple, because he had to be here for hours. I mean, poor guy. And he's like building all kinds of stuff, like building a castle and just really, really neat stuff. And then yesterday afternoon, when I got home from our, our, our men's Bible study and being here for a while, Blake asked me, he's like, what do you, what do you think I should build? And I'm like, hey, why don't you try to build a, why don't you try to build a castle again? And I don't know if any of you are like this, but sometimes as a parent, I just kind of want to go over there and knock the whole thing down. <laughs> Would you stop judging me? Have you ever wanted to do that? I mean, they've worked so hard and I'm like, man, it would be so cool to just be like, and just knock the whole thing down. You know, when I think of the law, I wish that's what Jesus was coming to do. Like, like that he was just like, I'm just going to come and I'm going to completely destroy this thing. Yet, that's not what happens because we'd be completely off the hook if that's what happened. Jesus actually says the opposite. I didn't come to destroy. I didn't come to abolish the law. I didn't come to deconstruct the law. No, I'm, I'm here to kind of to, to, to bring it to fruition. I'm not here to deconstruct God's word or to start us on a trajectory where God's word does not matter and we become our own authorities. And remember, he's talking about, he's talking about the Old Testament here. So any, any notion of how we might say, ah, well, that's just, that's just the Old Testament, right? That's just, you know, where God was, well, he, he was angry, and, you know, now this, don't, don't mean to be irreverent, now this cool, hip, you know, calm Jesus comes and saves the day. No, that's not what we're, Jesus is like, the, the law and the prophets, basically that, that whole Old Testament, I didn't come to deconstruct that. I didn't come to abolish that. I came to fulfill that. He's like, I'm not about this abolishment thing. Now we'll come to back, we'll come back to what it means there and the, how Christ fulfilled that in, in a bit. Let's just keep going. Let's come down to verse number 18. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Now that first phrase there, the phrase for verily, can be translated truly, truly. Okay, so that's the, that's the an Aramaic word, amen, which comes from the Hebrew word for truth. So to combine it, it's like a solemnly and truly. Now, in our world today, in the, in the court system, someone might say, I solemnly swear to tell the truth 
and in nothing but the truth, right? I solemnly swear to tell the truth. We often say amen at the end of our prayers. Even earlier, I just said, in Jesus' name, amen. What that means is this is true. More formally and historically, it meant so it is or so be it. May it be fulfilled. So if you say amen after someone is speaking, what you're saying is, yes, that is true. And I am taking what that person has said, I am taking it into myself. And so when uh, sometimes you might hear, we're not a huge amen church, and I'm totally fine with that, but you might every once in a while hear someone say amen after something. It's like, that is true. I'm agreeing with that truth. I am taking that in to myself. Jesus says amen at the beginning of his statement. So what Jesus is saying is what I am about to say is a big deal and you need to take it in to yourself. You need to allow this to be applied. And he amps up the seriousness of this by saying till heaven and earth pass away. That would be the equivalent of today saying until hell freezes over. Right? Until hell freezes over. In other words, never. Right? So, till heaven and earth pass away, till, till hell freezes over, so never, I solemnly, it is solemnly true, and never will a jot or a tittle pass away from the law until what? Until it is all fulfilled until it is all accomplished. A jot is the, is the smallest letter in the Hebrew language. It's kind of the, the size of a comma or maybe the dotting of your eye. A tittle is a seraph. It's kind of like the crossing of an F. So just think about that. So it's just a small comma, a period, a dotting of an I or a crossing of a T or a crossing of an F. Jesus is saying, what does he believe about the Bible? At the known time, the, 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 the law and the prophets, it was basically encompassing the Old Testament. What he's saying is that not even a word or a letter, but even a little part of that letter is going to fail. Jesus is not here to do away with any of it until all is fulfilled until all is accomplished jesus says not only are the scriptures true but it is all coming true till all be fulfilled and so that's the concept of yes this is true verily truly uh, solemnly i am saying amen what i'm about to say is so immensely true but then it is also coming true it's coming true now, the box score for Friday night's game between the Golden State Warriors and the Denver Nuggets, listen, that can be true, but it's not coming true. So when you see that box score of Friday night's game of, uh, of where they lost, they weren't supposed to, but where they lost, what you'll find is, is everything that happened within that game. That's what that box score tells you, and it's true, and it's accurate. Our team lost, but it wasn't coming true. 
So there's no box score for the next game that the Warriors have. So when Jesus says that it will all be fulfilled, that it'll all be accomplished, he is saying this is how God is running the universe. Everything in the Bible will happen. Every prophecy will come true. Every promise will be fulfilled. Every warning, every threat that will be, it's going to be carried out in full. Every single command will someday be obeyed because someday, according to Paul in Philippians chapter number two, at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what does he, what does he think about it? Let's just give a really quick answer here. Jesus' view is that God's worth is, his words is both true and coming true. So it's true, and then everything that's been prophesied, everything, it is also coming true. Jesus' view of Scripture is astronomically high. He sees it as divine, authoritative, all of it. Every jot, every tittle of it is authoritative in power. His life's goal and purpose is accomplishing it. It is to fulfill it. And so in light of the high standard that Jesus Christ has placed on the Word of God, Let's go down to verse number 19. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these little commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoso shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So in the context, the work here, the word break comes from the Greek lio, which is the root of the word destroy. So it's the root of that word abolish or to, or to tear down that we saw earlier in verse number 17. So here's what it means. It means to loose, to loosen, or it means to unbind. This would be the word that they would often use of like, I'm going to loosen my sandals. I'm going I'm to unbind the sandals that the men and the women would have been wearing in that time. So commands... It exists to bind, right? They, can, they, they exist to, to guard, like guardrails on any, any road. If you tear those down, if you treat God's holiness as no big deal, what does Jesus say? Jesus said that you're going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But if you do them, you're going to be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, is Jesus saying that if you treat God's law the right way, then, or, or you don't treat it the right way, then you're somehow going to be like, a junior varsity when it comes to heaven? Maybe there's some possibility. It, it could be what he's saying there. There are passages that, that, that describe rewards in heaven that correlate to how we live our life here on earth. But it's unlikely because Jesus has been talking about how the kingdom of heaven is here how it's now, how it is at hand. Remember at the Beatitudes? When you begin this, you're seeing the kingdom for the believer. It, it is now, it is at hand. So what Jesus is most likely saying here, and I'm, I'm giving you some conjecture of what Ryan believes that it is, and so know that. What he's most likely saying is if, if you do not take the scripture seriously, you are putting a ceiling on your ability to experience his kingdom in the here and now. You're handicapping 
your joy. You're limiting your spiritual vitality. You're limiting that, that, that full holistic relationship that you have, can have in Jesus Christ right now. Jesus spoke about teaching others to do wrong in this text. And one may think that you're off the hook because you're not in the teaching position that I am right now. Well, there's two problems with that type of thinking. The first one is, is that we teach with our lives, right? We're constantly teaching. What we find value in, our life gets played out on the screen before everyone with us. And so there, we've got to think about this. It's, we, we can see what's important to us. But another problem is, is that we all engage in teaching all the time without actually even knowing that we're doing it. So if a friend is asking you about maybe a career uh, position that, that they're asking, and you say, hey, you've got to do what makes you happy. Ah, oh, hey, that sounds great, but we're literally affirming about a thousand cultural lies from Scripture. So we've, we've got to be careful with that. You didn't mean to contradict Scripture, but you did. You didn't mean to be a false teacher, but you were. So let me give you another example. A friend brings up some maybe relational drama how do you respond to that? Do you say, well, hey, you know, I, I get it. You've, you know, you've got you've to do what is you know, best for you. You've got to get out of some toxic negativity out of your life. Or do you say, you know that Jesus calls you to a reconciled life? And doesn't mean that if you're in a situation that you don't need to get out of it. That's not what I'm saying. But we're, all, we're often teaching. We're often talking. Are we trying to push someone to reconciliation? Or instead we're just, nope, okay, we're, we're, we're done with this. Either way, you're teaching. Verse 20. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Yikes. Do you know how serious the scribes and the Pharisees took to God's law? Listen to me. They literally tithed. They literally gave a portion of their spice rack. I mean, they took it extremely seriously. Holiness. Righteousness. They thought about it. These people studied God's word, every jot and tittle, and made serious effort to obey it all. Did they add a whole bunch of other stuff? Sure they did. But what was written, they tried to keep intently. But Jesus says something is off in their approach. It's not leading them into the kingdom the way that they think. Now, that's later in his sermon, but it's fascinating to me. There are actually two ways to break or two ways to relax God's law that are equal and opposite in their ability to make us kind of miss the whole point of the power of God's word. Let me talk about, first of all, breaking the letter of the law. So to break the letter. This is more overt, direct, to kind of way to relax God's law. It's very popular. <laughs> We hear it all the time. We say, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I believe the Bible, but I also believe, yeah, you know, this, it, it can't possibly have it all together. You know, I believe this, but I definitely don't believe this relational stuff. 
You know, I believe that, uh, that, that God says this, but when it comes to, you know, just to the gender, ah, no, it, it doesn't say anything. I, I believe this, but when it comes to, to, to babies and conception, all that, I, I don't believe that. There's some parts that are primitive. There's some parts of Scripture that are outdated. So what we're saying is that there's jots and tittles that no longer matter. And if God knew what we knew now, then he would not have commanded what he did. What arrogance. The fact that somehow God doesn't actually believe or he regrets maybe what he said. Maybe he comes to say, now, oh, wow, I didn't see that one coming on marriage. Sorry. Oh, wow, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't actually see that. To consider the kind of enlightened perspective on sexuality that people were going to have. You know, yeah, I, oh, I missed it. That's literally what it boils down to, what we're saying. When we say, yeah, well, I believe this, but you know what, when it comes to these other areas, no. But if you do that, you end up with a God who is ever-changing, and it's never certain. And what did the Lord say? I am the Lord, and I change not. So he's ever-changing to the whims of culture that go around us. And listen to me, that's no God at all. That is a God of our own structure, and if we make a God of our own structure and he's ever-changing, then listen, 10 years from now, it's going to be even different. And then 20 years from now, it's going to ever be changing. And so this, this unbending, what does Jesus think about the Word of God? It's a question that, that we've got to continue to answer here this morning. Let me give you an example of another way this can show up. Talking to a friend earlier this month, he said that he's struggling with the reliability of scripture. And I was at a pastor's meeting and I, and I asked, and I said, so what do, you, what, do you, well, what do you mean by that? He said, well, I have a hard time trusting all of the people that were involved, the people who wrote it, right? The people who canonized it, the people who translated it. So on one hand, this individual is, is humble and that he has a biblical worldview of the depravity of man. Absolutely, this individual does. All humans are sinful. All humans are fallible. But on another level, he was actually discounting God's role in the process. And so if you allow me to say this, his humble view of people, his kind of biblical worldview nature of people was camouflaging an arrogant view that ignored God. And so we've got to be careful with this. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It is literally God-breathed and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So it's God breathed. It's what Jesus believed. It's what he taught. He said the whole thing is divine. And so, you know, there's this whole letter of the law where I'm just going to go, I'm just going to break it. It doesn't matter. But that's not what the Pharisees were doing, by the way. But then you have breaking the spirit of the law. This version is more sneaky and it kind of gets into religious environments. Isn't it odd that Jesus comes after the Pharisees here in the remainder of this chapter? They're not breaking the letter of the law. The, they, they love the letter of the law. But Jesus says that our righteousness has to exceed theirs. Why? And how? I mean, think about it. Like, how in the world could you possibly exceed their righteousness man, when they know the whole thing? 
and they try to live it to the T. Literally, they do. So, so how can it actually exceed that? Well, in their incredible focus on the letter of the law, the Pharisees distorted and missed the heart of the law. They made it all about the external. They made it all about behavioral modifications, compliance to the behavioral things. When the truth is, God's Word can see so much deeper. In fact, it can see so deep, according to the author of Hebrews, that literally it's a two-edged sword. Man, it divides down to the very being of who you are. It literally can expose our entire hearts. And so if we treat God's laws like they are all about external compliance to moral rules, you can almost believe that you are following them and that you're doing it really, really well. The law says... Do not murder. Hmm, let me see. Have I murdered? Nope. Check. The law says don't commit adultery. All right, well, let me see. Have I ever committed adultery on my wife? Nope. <laughs> Check. And you can just go on down through the law. Have I ever bared false witness against my neighbor? No, I've, I've never gone to court. And I've, never, I've never lied. Nope, nope, I'm good. Jesus is going to say, you've heard it said, do not murder, later in Matthew chapter number five. But I tell you, anger in your heart is at the same root. Now, I'm not going to ask the question because I probably already know the answer. I wonder how many of us have anger in our hearts. And that's where the Word of God... We are right. The Sermon on the Mount, I told us it wasn't Psalm 23. And so it, it, it gets deep. It, it gets... It, the heart of the law, it's about kind of this internal transformation. Yes, no, I, I've never murdered. I've got the external compliance completely down. But is there anger? Is there bitterness? Is there wrath in my heart towards people? Sure, there are times. And it's a problem. Jesus is going to say later in Matthew 5, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you that if you even have lust in your heart, it's like you've committed adultery already. You've got the external compliance down, but you're in, in your body, you actually are committing adultery because God's law sees and cares about our hearts. And the more Jesus presses on in this in chapter 5, we're going to get there, the more he shows the point of God's word through and through the laws, showing us that it's not doable. Not only do you got to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, Jesus is going to say later in this chapter, verse number 48, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. We're doing all right? Can I give you an example of this? Paul said in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always always and again i say rejoice let your moderation be known unto all men the lord is at hand be careful for nothing nothing worry don't be anxious for nothing I wonder if we've been anxious at all this week but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made unto god and the wonderful verse and the peace of god which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through christ jesus Husbands, love your wives even as Christ 
also loved the church and gave himself for it. How are we doing, guys, on that test? Jesus wants us to see the Bible as so much more than a rule book for life. Even in the section that unpacks all the rules in the Old Testament, the rules are pointing us to something more than that. It's pointing us to Jesus. It's pointing us to the one that fulfills this law. Galatians 3.24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, was our tutor to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. It's pointing, pointing us to Jesus until he came. That is the point of the entirety of the Old Testament. Every word, every single story, every rule, every jot, every tittle is pointing us and talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus' view of the Word of God, that it's all about Him. In Luke chapter number 24, verse 44, And He said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you, which I was yet with you, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the Law of Moses, and in the Prophets, and in the Psalms. What? concerning me, the text says. All of it concerned him. Jesus thinks that the word of God believes and knows that it is about him. This is what Jesus means when he says that he, can, that he came to fulfill it. He has obeyed it in every way that we cannot. He has been perfect as his father is. That's the requirement he was. He, was, he did not murder no, and he was perfectly forgiven anyone who sinned against him. He has not committed adultery, but he's never lustfully uh, objectified anyone. He's never metaphorically ever cheated on his people, even though we have betrayed him over and over and over again. James talks about that. So here's the point. Take this in. The point of the law is that we cannot, but Jesus has. He has fulfilled it in every way we cannot, and he gifts us righteousness that we could never attain on our own. You know what I'd encourage you to do? I'd encourage you to, because I'm going to move on and you maybe can't write that down. Why don't you take a screenshot of that? Screenshot it. You have to take a picture of that. It's not on your phone. <laughs> Today's third, you know, first world problems, right? You cannot. He has and you've been gifted something that you could never attain on your own. Man, if that does not free you today, because I know, man, the first 25 minutes of this message has been heavy law, but if this doesn't free you, I don't know what will. To approach the scriptures thinking that you can, that, that, that you can per perfect it so you can seek to obey them on your own strength is to miss the point of scripture entirely. It's to read them like the Pharisees did. But if we're ever going to have a righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees, like Jesus says that we absolutely need in our text that we read, we are going to have to be gifted a righteousness. And when you have that gift of righteousness, when you know Jesus has fulfilled the law on your behalf, it leads you to love God's word. It leads you to want to live the way that God is calling us to live. Now, we can understand a lot of the law was completely fulfilled in Christ where it's, it's no longer because it was ceremonial in Christ's coming. All of that. We understand that. If you've been in our Route 66 series, we totally went through that when we went through Exodus and, and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. But we've got to understand that we're going to love God's word 
more. You get a new heart. You get a new mind. You start to want to obey God's commandments. You start to love it. So how do you get that gift of righteousness? You give. What do you mean? I give, Ryan. To get the gift of righteousness, how do I give? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, you give your sin over to Jesus. Who bore that sin on the cross. He took the sin of all of mankind. On that tree, Peter tells us, it was bearing it on his body, on that tree. And we say, God, save me. Here, I'm turning from my sin. I'm trusting you as my Savior. And there's this beautiful transaction that happens in 2 Corinthians 5.21. And we are made, remade in his righteousness. It's gifted. You trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And the law on your account gets fulfilled. Apart from Christ, you better keep it perfectly. Just like the Father says, you must be perfect as your Father in heaven, which is perfect, enters your hero, Jesus, who says, oh, I will come, I will every jot, every tittle of that law down to the smallest minute point, I will fulfill it. So I can take your sin, be the scapegoat, and give you my righteousness. Man, it's not Christmas yet, but that fires me up. The gift of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let me, I preached a long time, but it's okay. Let me, let me practically, as we adopt Jesus' view of Scripture, how can, we, how can we adopt it? His view, hopefully you've, you've seen here. Number one, confidence in God's word. Practically, God's word is not just true, it's coming true. It's being accomplished, which means that I don't have to cower in the intellectual arrogance of our culture that mocks God's law, that mocks God's word, which means that, that, that I can, that no matter how big things get, these massive empires, they've come and they've gone and God's word still remains. And this intellectual culture that thinks that they can usurp the word of God, that's going to come and that's going to go and that's going to bow and that's going to, that's going to confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of someday. Every messianic prophecy has been fulfilled in Jesus. Every foreshadowing, every imperfect king and prophet has pointed to the one perfect king and prophet, Jesus. Every symbolic sacrifice system has been fulfilled in Christ. So I can be confident in all of the promises of God. I can be confident that God is not unknowing and uncaring of the craziness of 2022 and the culture that we live in. I can know that I do not need to put my hope in leaders and politics because fallible and sinful humans are never going to be the savior king that Jesus Christ is. No one's gonna usher in this utopia that we want until Jesus Christ comes. One day, every knee's going to bow, every tongue's going to confess that God was completely right the whole time. And so we can do that now, that we can be confident in his word. Let me say also, humility before God's word. As Christians, we do not need to read God's word like the Pharisees look for rules to follow, to conform our own awesomeness. We're not looking for reasons to feel superior over others 
And sometimes that's what church produces. I got this under control and somehow we feel superior over others. No. Remain humble before God's word. We do not sift through the scriptures asking what part do I like and what part do I not like. We let the scriptures sift through us, pointing us to parts that God doesn't like. Did you hear that? We don't go through his word and say, I don't like that. No, no, we allow his word to sift through us. Now, I want you to change that, Ryan. I'm not going to give you a list of anything. The Holy Spirit does that, of how you ought to ebb and flow of your life and change. We search the scriptures and we let them search us. Let me just say this as quickly, obedience to God's word. Years ago, I was talking to an older man who was a Christian. I don't remember the exact details, but I remember him talking about the command that says that we're to love our enemies. And he says, yeah, I, I, I believe the word of God, but it's not like we're really supposed to live it all out. And it was something to the effect of like, if I, if I, really, if I really love my enemies, those enemies, they're going to take advantage of me, and that's not very practical. So we start thinking practically. And yet when God says to love your enemies, you know what he means? Love your enemies. When God says to love your neighbor as yourself, well, who's my neighbor? Trap him. It's actually your enemy. They're all your neighbors. Everybody. To love them. God's word has come true. It's coming true. If every jot and tittle will be fulfilled, if every promise is going to come true, if every single instruction, it is being greater, deeper joy in Christ, then why wouldn't we want to obey him? Let me say finally here, teach, teaching that is filled with God's word. We're always teaching. But what are you teaching? You say, you say, Ryan, that's your job. Ah, but that's a problem. Because I don't go where you go this week. I love to interact with you all throughout the week. But the reality is, is that 95 plus percent of your time this week, I'm not going to be there. And so you're going to need to know what the word of God says. And I take my responsibility of teaching it very it's a high responsibility, but you're going to have to go into the world that you're living in, the conversations that you're having, the neighborhood that you're living in. Remember being a salt and light from last week, right? And you're in those situations and you're going to have to teach biblically. So what does God, what does Jesus think about the word of God? It's high. Can I encourage us to value also the Word of God to where we will study it, we will meditate upon it, where we will learn, we will glean, where it will begin to influence our life so as we are the salt and the light of the world, as Jesus just got done saying earlier, that what we are saying is biblical. And then, always preach Jesus. Because Jesus has fulfilled it all. The rescuer 
is Jesus. So you know what the Word of God is not meant to do for us today? Oh, weigh us down. No way. Because Jesus came to fulfill it. Enter into that. That, 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 that beautiful hope that we're gifted this righteousness. And then go live the way of Jesus. Because he's already lived it for you. If you need to trust Christ as your Savior today, do not let another day go by. In your heart now, acknowledge before him, I am a sinner before you. God, save me in your son, Jesus Christ. When he, did, when, he, when he died on the cross, he was paying for the penalty of your sin. And you trust that, and the beautiful transaction happens. Sin goes to Christ, he bears it for you, and you get his righteous record in return. And let's go live in that record. Let's go live in the way of Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed.